the blast from our past network. This week on Talking Back, you definitely don't want to get in trouble with the time police. Talking Back. Hey everybody, welcome to Talking Back the podcast where we like to chat about past achievements in movies, comics, video games, and more. I am your host, Tim, and with me today is the Star Trek crew. Jay and Terry, how are you guys doing? Good, Tim. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Yeah, uh, as always, thank you guys for joining. I always appreciate it. It's been a little, little while since we did one of these, so I've been itching. I've had the itch. Have you guys been itchy lately? Oh, yeah. <laughs> where were you? Where were you guys? Itch. Where were you guys itchy? What, what? Uh, I prefer not to comment on that, Tim. <laughs> okay, deep in the gamma quadrant. <laughs> <laughs> ah, great answer, Terry. Great answer. Uh, uh, that's the last last one I got tonight. That's it. You just you're out. Maybe you come in, yeah. you come in swinging like that, and now you're done. <laughs> I hope not. I hope not, Terry. Just just wanted to warn you. Just wanted to warn you. Well, I, I appreciate it. Okay, we are here doing a follow-up to our Timeless episode, right? That was the Correct. last one we did. We we're big fans of that. And mm. this one has a bit of a connection to that, so we agreed to do this one next. This one is called Relativity. It is uh, episode 24 from season 5. Uh, it aired May 12th, 1999. Now, if you're going to go watch this on Netflix... I will throw it out there that this is actually episode 23 on Netflix of season five rather than 24 because there's a two-part episode earlier in the season that Netflix just counts as one episode. So they done messed up, guys, but that's fine. You'll find it. It's called Relativity. Our housekeeping, as always, it is Stardate 73815.4. Terry looks fascinated by that information. He's doing, he's doing the math in his head to see if I'm right. Uh, <laughs> you're, you're one quarter of one day off. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jay, you're welcome to show the um, the microphone your tattoo if you like. Oh yeah, yeah, right there. I'm, I'm rubbing it as we speak. It's, uh, <laughs> feels pretty good. Okay. Let us get into it. So, directed by Alan Eastman. Now, this guy was born in 1948 in Winnipeg. Really? Yeah. That's this guy cool. This guy lived in the city that we're um, uh, beaming our broadcast from right now. Yeah, now he's directed some some interesting stuff. He, he directed um, Sliders, Earth Final Conflict. Deep Space Nine, and Stargate SG-1. Now, that's uh, some of the yeah. stuff um, international listeners might know him from. Now, some of the stuff that the three of us and our Canadian listeners might know him from, Road to Avonlea, The Beachcombers, Danger Bay, and <laughs> my personal favorite, The Littlest Hobo. Wow. Nice. What a, guys, these shows... That's got to give you certain feelings, like hearing the, the names of some of those shows. Like, I, I grew up on some of those. I imagine you guys did as well. Oh, yeah. I had three stations growing up, and those were all the shows on all the stations all the time. 
That's exactly right. That uh, the littlest guys, the littlest hobo theme is like one of my favorite songs of all time. I have it on my phone. I like when it comes on when my phone <laughs> when my phone's on random and it comes on. I just get so into it. It's like I don't know. It just it makes nice. me so emotional. So I, uh, we we don't really do this on talking back, but I'm going to insert that song right here for everyone to hear it. <laughs> There's a voice that keeps on calling me Down the road, that's where I'll always be Every stop I make, I make a new friend Can't stay for long, just turn around and I'm gone again Maybe tomorrow I'll wanna settle down Until tomorrow I'll just keep moving on So if you wanna join me And the viewership just went either straight up or straight down from that. <laughs> yeah, I know. The, the verdict will be out. I don't know. I don't know which way. <laughs> uh, just one of those things like, you know, when, when I heard it, I knew I was, as a kid, when I heard it, I knew I was going to get an episode of The Littlest Hobo and uh, I loved it. Yeah. If my memory serves correct, uh, it's been decades since I saw that show, but it was always bittersweet at the end. He'd save the day, do whatever he's got to do, and then he'd leave. Yeah, that's right. It was a sad thing. Yeah, I always remember that the Lulus Hobo either came on before or after the Raccoons, and the Raccoons had an equally oh. as awesome theme song too. So That's both right. combined was was good television. Yeah, the Lulus Hobo for for listeners who might not know, it's just a German Shepherd that like doesn't have a home and it just travels from town to town, solving like some sort of mystery that happens in that town, and then <laughs> like the people in that episode always fall in love with him, but then he just he always has to leave. He has to keep going on to the next town to solve the next problem. Oh man, it's good. That's some Actually, good, good Canadiana. Kind of reminds me of Voyager. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> what nice, a perfect segue. I know, nice segue, Terry. <laughs> Let's get into it then. Uh, Terry's had enough of the little Hobo. <laughs> okay. I'm going to go binge watch it after this. <laughs> me too. I'm there. We should do an episode of the Littlest, littlest Hobo when I'm talking yeah, about That'd be fun. <laughs> Oh, that's great. Uh, all right. So let's get to the uh, Voyager episode then. So we start off at uh, the Utopia Planitia shipyards. Now, this is where many ships, including Voyager, were actually built. So it's cool to see this, uh, getting to see Voyager in dry dock, right? It's pretty neat. Now, the ship's being prepared for its first mission. So like, this is a flashback to the beginning of the series that like it's actually happening before the series even started. So this is cool, um, cool footage for us to see, right? They're, uh, they're taking a tour of Voyager and uh, it's Janeway and this, uh, this Admiral, he's kind of showing her around, showing her the ship. And um, they mention Tuvok and needing to catch up with Chakotay's ship in the Badlands, which was Voyager's whole initial mission that, you know, got them stuck in the Delta Quadrant. Now, uh, they're on the bridge of, of Voyager, kind of walking through, and they walk past a crew member in Starfleet attire, and it's Seven of Nine. Now, that's like a big what-the-fuck moment for sure, right? 
this is back before mm-hmm. the show even started and now all of a sudden seven of nine who came on board at the end of season four is there dressed in starfleet attire by the way this is the only episode out of all the shows where seven of nine is actually dressed up in starfleet because she always wears her, her yeah. own kind of outfit right yes and her face looks different too oh yeah her her board implant has been hidden is that what you mean Mm-hmm. so i mean i'm feeling super excited at this point like what are you guys at this point where you it's kind of, this is kind of our intro but what are you guys feeling about this so far well how about uh, jay why don't you go first uh i think the way it was introduced yeah it felt like a flashback episode like we were maybe going back to see the beginning uh, some elements we never saw before. And then as soon as we get that glimpse of seven of nine and it just kind of, it cuts away to the intro um, right away, you know, that you don't know what's coming. I, and I love that they, they don't have to um, hit you with all the knowledge right at the beginning. They leave a lot of things open-ended in this episode. They leave you guessing a lot with where they're going. So yeah, no, it, 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 I was hooked right at the beginning. Terry. I'm always intrigued when they show uh, different Federation ships, when they show the making of Federation ships, and in different angles we normally don't get in a Star Trek episode. So the moment that they show uh, this happening in dry dock, uh, even before we ever get introduced to Voyager, uh, I'm super intrigued about it. Then then you see Seven and Nine um, poke around, and uh, which doesn't make any sense until you watch the episode which only heightens heightens the intrigue for for the episode. So right off the bat they got got you hook line and sinker. And you know if 7 of 9 is back in time, it has something to do with uh with traveling uh maybe through time, through space, whatever. So right off the bat I'm intrigued because I don't know why she's back there. I just uh want to know why. Yeah, I th- I think at that point you have to realize that you're either dealing with like some sort of time travel episode or this is some sort of um, holodeck simulation or something like that right uh there's not that's a good point i didn't think of it but still not too many other options but uh, anytime we get something like this i know we're in for uh, a pretty fun episode because this is this is the this is the fun stuff that we always like to see right and we've we've mentioned that before we always love these like time travel episodes um but seven is clearly investigating something on the ship and actually even has an interaction with Janeway. Uh, the Seven's in the briefing room, like scanning something, and Janeway comes in and asks her uh, what she thinks of the design of the briefing room because Janeway doesn't like it. And Seven says it's uh, an, an efficient design. <laughs> sounds, about, <laughs> sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. And they, uh, they, go ahead, they go ahead and test out the uh, emergency medical hologram. And they have some fun banter with him because he's still his original programming, which hasn't been allowed to like change or grow. <laughs> <laughs> he's that with the doctor, with the, horrible, the horrible bedside manner. Yeah, you can just see the uh, the anger behind his eyes, or just the discontent. <laughs> totally. <laughs> totally. Terry, but the funny part about sorry, the funny part about them talking to the doctor is they shut him down and he looks so hurt at the last two seconds of their talk with him. <laughs> he always like, does. He should be surprised that they do that, yeah. He's always so offended when people just shut his program down without asking. <laughs> it's uh, like slamming a door in his face. That's right, yeah. We also get to see Lieutenant Carey again, which is pretty cool if you're watching this chronologically because Lieutenant Carey was the chief engineer for a time on Voyager, but ended up getting killed, I think, in season two. 
So, you know, three seasons later, having him come back for a bit of a, an appearance, I, I really appreciated that, that aspect of this episode. But Seven, uh, she continues her search for something, and we hear a man uh, who's giving her orders. So she's someone's kind of telling her what to do. Now, she's crawling around in the Jeffrey's tubes, and she says she's localized the temporal distortions. Hmm. What does that mean? Now, now that's for sure time travel, right? Temporal? Yep. Uh, we know what that means. So she opens up a wall panel, and she sees basically an invisible device. Like, she opens it up. We can't see anything in there. And then we go to kind of her vision, and you see that there is something in there. So I guess with her enhanced Borg abilities, she can see like this, whatever this thing is. We have no idea uh, until she tells the man that she's found the weapon and she starts to disable the weapon. Now, Carrie in engineering is with Janeway and the Admiral and they get an alert that goes off that one of the EPS relays has gone offline. So Janeway decides to go and investigate herself which I think is really cool because like she's only just taking a tour of her ship. Like right? she's not even, you know, in, in command or anything, but she wants to get her hands dirty and go and see what the problem is. So I thought that was cool. Yeah. It's, it's very Janeway. It's, it's very much her character, not something out of character. It's something that she definitely would have did, would do. Yep. I agree. And, uh, even just before that, the moment the Admiral got onto, um, onto the ship or whatever. The first interaction he has with Janeway is to grill her on questions. She went and gotten an Academy to see if she's up to snuff to, to do the ship. And she knew all the answers and was primed and ready to go. So mm -hmm. she nailed those questions. Yeah. Now back at the weapon seven says that it's out of phase and that she's been sent to the wrong timeline. And the man says that at least they know where the weapon was placed now they just have to find out when it was placed. So that's neat. It's like there's levels mm -hmm. to this, right? Like they figured out one thing, but they're that's not good enough. They have to keep going and figure something else out. So it's uh, it's it's a fun ride so far in this episode. Um, you know, we have no idea what's going on yet. Janeway is trying to get to the EPS relays and picks up chronotons on her tricorder. Now. This really gets the Admiral's attention. And chronotons, that's not like an everyday term that we hear in uh, in Star Star Trek. But I know whenever I hear chronotons, that also has to do with time travel. Like, I don't, I don't know specifically what it is, but some sort of like residual something that gets left behind if you've traveled through time. You know, like a, a, a invisible dust or something that they can pick up. Mm -hmm. So uh, it, it's cool. I just I love when they say terms like that that we don't really we're not really used to. But if you have watched a bunch of episodes, maybe you've heard this one term before, and you, you can like jog your memory about what this could possibly be. Because those chronotons were detected, the admiral decides to seal off that deck, and Seven is trapped there. Now this man who's talking to her says that they're trying to get her out, but they're having some trouble getting her out. Then we finally get to see who this mystery man is. And we see him on his ship, and he's on the bridge of a Federation ship. Like it's it looks like if you can tell what a Federation ship looks like. It's a Federation <laughs> ship, but it's it's way more futuristic, right? What did you guys think of that ship? Terry, what'd you think? 
it, it looked the Federation on the inside, but on the outside, it was very sleek, very, uh, uh, if any Federation ship kind of looked like it even slightly, it would have been uh, the Defiant from Deep Space Nine. And even that wasn't that close to it. Uh, Federation ships often have the nacelles and the, and the dish at the front. Uh, this was just a sleek vessel. And I'm not really even certain how large it is in comparison. They don't really show that I'm aware of. So, uh, Yeah, that's... Well, that, that ship is actually called the Starship Relativity, right? Uh, that's one, mm -hmm. of, one, of, one of your favorite ships, right? You're a big fan of that ship. I'm a big fan of the, the episode and the ship because of it. I always believe that if they were going to make another Star Trek series, that relativity would have been a good place to go because of the time aspect and the space travel aspect. They could have added both of those to a, a show. It'd be like Next Gen or Voyager, but with time travel as well. I always thought that was a good call. But I actually don't know that much about the ship other than the episode, what it, what it explained to me. So mm -hmm. uh, When they show it in space, it, it looked like it had some weird... Um, almost like multicolor. I don't want to say rainbow because it wasn't bright or anything, but it had like this multicolor kind of spectrum. It looked like going across the whole ship. It was obviously some sort of cloaking device or shielding or something mm -hmm. like that, but it, it looked really interesting. And yeah, that was really, yeah. really sleek. Like it looked like it was, um, uh, it was kind of long, pretty wide, but you got the feeling like it wasn't very like big from the top to the bottom of it. Yeah. So we get to see um, this man who's been talking to her, and he's a Starfleet captain, and he orders his lieutenant to pull Seven out of there. Uh, the lieutenant says there's too much interference. If they pull her out now, it will damage her bionetic implants. And uh, this, this captain on that ship basically says that if Captain Janeway finds her, it's going to contaminate the timeline. We hear there's a temporal transport in progress, so we see that Seven gets uh, does get beamed out, and then the Admiral and Janeway get to that Jeffrey's tube that Seven was in. She's gone. So Janeway's scanning with her tricorder and asks the Admiral what causes a chronoton flux of 0 0.003, and he says he doesn't know, and she says neither do I. So that's fun that these like two super geniuses have absolutely no idea what any of this is, right? Yeah. Um, also here, I really like the dynamic that we have going on so far where it's this like kind of seven versus Janeway, uh, theme happening, um, up to where this episode is in season five, we know that Janeway and seven are, are usually quite adversarial with each other. And this is a, it seems like an interesting episode here where there's a little bit of cat and mouse going on between the two of them. You know, seven's trying to do something under Janeway's nose and Janeway's kind of figuring things out a little bit. I, I thought that was pretty neat. Mm -hmm. I think, I think uh, if we take a snapshot of this adversarial combat for this episode alone, Janeway is definitely the, the one at a disadvantage. Um, even though as an audience, we don't know very much about what's going on. We do know that seven knows more than Janeway does. Uh, since those people talking to her are telling her things, she's on a mission. Janeway has no idea about. She's not supposed to be back at that time anyway. So Janeway is definitely at a disadvantage trying to figure it out. And um, uh, that's a theme uh, this episode seems to follow through on. So Yeah. So Seven gets beamed back aboard this future ship, and the lieutenant says that she's dead. 
and they have no luck reviving her. And then this captain, who we now learn his name is Braxton, it's Captain Braxton, he says that they'll have to recruit her again. And the lieutenant says a fourth jump could cause neural damage or psychosis. But Braxton doesn't seem to care, and they go back to recruit Seven again. So it's it's neat that this has failed. Their, their, their plan that we've been watching here has failed. Seven's died. And, you know, since they're working with time travel, they just have the ability to go back and try it all again. But mm-hmm. but at the same time, what they're doing to Seven is, is damaging her. Um, it's causing somehow causing long-term damage uh, just with all these, the, the, since they're pulling her out of her own timeline, there's something going on there. So it's interesting. I think the key word is somehow, because the way I see it is they pull her out at a, let's say at times four seconds, whatever that time is, right? And that fails. So now they have to pull her out at uh, three seconds and 99 one hundredths of a second, right? Just before they pulled her out last time. And then that fails and they did do it again. What I don't understand is why it's damaging her if they're pulling out a slightly earlier version every single time. Uh, is there a link between the different versions? Like that's, I don't understand that part, but it's interesting anyway. Yeah, it is interesting. I, I, I don't think the tension or, I mean, the, the damage to herself by jumping so much is definitely um, a real threat in this episode. And if they didn't have it, it just wouldn't have the same impact, right? Like it just wouldn't, they'd be able to do whatever they wanted at any time. So I'm glad they wrote it in there, but yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. I, I guess, I guess there's, there's something with a, a single person who, if they get um, transferred into multiple timelines or they get, they spend too much time in a, in a timeline that's not their own, um, something like adverse happens to their physiology. And they talk about that a little bit in this episode. I'm not really sure what is going on with her. I don't know if it's because of her Borg anatomy that certain things are are failing. Or um, I think the idea of being pulled out of your timeline and placed in a, a foreign timeline, each time that happens, it, it negatively affects your your body somehow. So she's been pulled out a few times now and um, it's, it's like they're, they're worried about it. It's just something that they've mentioned and that they're worried about, but I don't have any answers beyond that. I I just, I like, I like it because even though they have the ability to travel through time, they have the ability there. It's, there's still consequences to all their actions. Yeah. Right. That's true. They're, they're, they're still very much, there's very much human consequences to their actions and it's, um, it makes it uh, believable in a way. Yeah. Like you said, Jay, if, if they didn't have those consequences, then there's, um, there's no limitations on what they can do. If there's no limitations and it's less enjoyable because there's no uh, uh, dramatic uh, outcome, yeah. you know what I mean? Sure. So for it sure. was, it was a ne- necessary writing tool. So you got to appreciate it for that. Definitely. That's a great point. So we're back on Voyager now. And the doctor is giving Seven a checkup, and she's feeling dizzy. Now, this isn't the Seven that's been time-traveling, but I think this is really neat. And I wonder if her being dizzy has something to do with a version of her jumping through time so much. Um, I wonder if there's something something to that. 
I'd like to think there is. I'd like to think that all these versions of her jumping through time creates maybe ripple effects, you know? So. Yeah. I was going to ask, is that the, the dizziness? Is that the space sickness they mention? Yeah. 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 And they, they mentioned a few times in that uh, episode. And that space sickness is, I guess, the, the version of seasickness, but in, in space. And uh, it's interesting, yeah, that she's definitely suffering from it when they never, ever mention it about her before. So, yeah. Uh, we get some comedy relief here where Tom is trying to convince Seven to be his doubles <laughs> partner for a ping pong tournament. <laughs> Seven, Seven, obviously not interested, right? <laughs> so Tom appeals to her pride and Seven agrees. He, he basically says something like, you know, oh, that's fine. You know, I, you don't want to team up with me because I know you know you can't beat Bellana or something like that. And she's like, oh, okay, yeah. it's on. Let's do it. <laughs> she called him on it first and then still gave in. Yeah, yeah. She said, oh, you're trying to appeal to my pride. Is it working? And then she gives in. Yeah, exactly. So apparently did. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we're at the tournament. And in the middle of the game, uh, the ping pong ball freezes in midair. Um, I, think, I think Harry goes to, like, smash it. And hits it and it just stops dead center of the ping pong table. And these are really, really great effects for 99. Like everything looked really cool in this, in this episode. Um, mm-hmm. it, it started with me noticing that. And then they do several other really, really interesting things. Uh, there's some cool effects. We'll, we'll get to shortly about what starts to happen in the ship. But there's some cool effects when, when that happens. The future, the future ship relativity like the graphics of the exterior of the ship are super cool um, inside the ship on the bridge, like the stuff going on, on their, on their screens. Like when they're, you know, like they can see Voyager ship and stuff like that. I guess they're looking at like some sort of weird timeline and um, you know, like when, when Voyager or one of the Federation ships from our time is like looking um, not our time, but like us watching this, their current timeline their map is like of planets, right? And they'll, they'll be like a planet and they'll see, you can see some ships kind of coming into the, to the screen, but relativity screens, it's all this weird stuff. And they're not looking at ships and planets. They're looking at time frames and timelines and uh, moving things from different timeline to timeline. It was really, really neat, really, really uh, well done for 99. So. Uh, maybe you can correct me, you know, the episode better than me, but it kind of reminded me of that. Uh, uh, was it called the year from hell or uh, where, where the guy that plays Red Foreman on that 70s show is changing time in that. Yep. kind of reminds me of that ship there doing whatever it is there, he, that he was doing, you know? Yeah, it's very, very similar concept, uh, but very, very different episodes, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. That, yeah. I think we've talked about that before. We're going to... We'll, we'll be covering that one for sure eventually. Okay. that's. I would call that one epic, is what I would use for that. It's a two-parter. And holy mm. hot damn, it's a, that was a fucking blast. It is. Yeah, we'll have to talk about that one uh, another day. Yeah. Two-parter. So after this ping pong game, they figure out that there are temporal distortions that are fracturing space-time throughout the entire ship. And this is, this is pretty cool because it's like different parts of the ship are existing in different time frames. But there's not a big difference. It's like um, in one part of the ship, it might be two minutes earlier than another part of the ship. And they show us this in a really neat way where the doctor gets called to sickbay because somebody, actually not somebody, Ensign Manus, 
<laughs> I love it. There's an Ensign Manus in this one, which is my, my last name. A future uh, descendant of the Manus, uh, the Manus clan. But uh, yeah, the doctor gets called there because this guy has a, like a medical emergency. So the doctor goes to what is it, the mess hall. And he walks in and he's like, who, who, what's the, what's the emergency? Neelix, you called me. And Neelix is like, oh, I didn't call you. I don't know what's going on. And then immediately this Ensign Manus like starts choking on some food. He's there before the call even happened. So I, I thought that was neat that they, sh- they showed it that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'd, I'd like to say that, um, that on its own was its own, uh, comedic moment too, because, you know, Neelix think thinks the doctor's talking about is pot roast that he, you know, needs the emergency. And then when they encounter this Manus character, this poor extra doesn't even have any lines. They cure, they cure him. And even when he like wakes up, like they don't even acknowledge him. They don't say anything to him. He's just (laughs) holding his head. Like, you know, this, (laughs) they completely ignore that this man just passed out and they, you'd have to see it to really get the, the comedic tone of it. But I was laughing. Yeah, he just kind of he just kind of like choked and then slumped over the table, and then they the doctor's like because the doctor, and I love this about the doctor is he's always figuring other things out, right? Like he's he's always figuring other things that aren't always medical related. He helps the story yeah. progress really well because he's um, he's so intelligent, so knowledgeable, but he figures out kind of what's going on with the ship. And at the same time, which what is secondary to him is how he's caring for this Ensign Manus. And just kind of all he does is he's not even paying attention. He's talking to Neelix. He's looking at a screen um, about these like te- temporal distortions. And he just gives this guy a, t- a hypo spray and the guy kind of comes back to you. But nobody's paying attention to him anymore. <laughs> no one's paying attention to him. Yeah, no one gives a shit. That's <laughs> so. yeah, good. It's really good. But we learned that these temporal distortions are tearing the ship apart. You've heard that before, right? The ship being torn mm-hmm. apart. Seems like in every episode turn. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but there's they only have two two hours before the ship's destroyed. That's that's severe. Now, Bolana and Seven are in the Jeffrey's tubes looking for the cause of these temporal distortions. And they open up this panel, and Seven sees that this weapon is there. So it's kind of you know, we're in the same area that we were near the beginning when Seven was there alone. So we kind of, we know that they're back at this area, but neither of them know anything about this. And she opens it up. Bolana can't see it, but Seven can see it. She says her, she can see it because her ocular implant can detect irregularities in space time. That's fucking cool. Yeah. <laughs> I want one of those. Where do, you get, where do you buy that? Now, two people from Captain Braxton's team beam onto the ship and at that point harry says he's picking up a chronoton flux of 0.003 now this gets janeway's attention right that number she's heard that before and uh and didn't like it so the ship is too far along though and it's losing structural integrity and they need to abandon ship now in the process of all this chaos happening these uh these two dudes who had beamed down from Braxton's ship, they go and they find Seven, and they beam her out of there, and then Voyager explodes. Ship down. Yep, yep. And it was a good explosion, too. There was this, uh, uh, that was a weird thing to say. No, it no, was, no, it, it was, it was <laughs> good. Yeah, for, for me, it was more for the more for the effects because yeah. the ship because uh, these temporal distortions and they were saying the, the the ship's out of phase or something. It was like two sh- two Voyager ships kind of like 
hovering close to each other, but almost like separating. And when they got far enough apart from each other, then they just both kind of exploded. It was, it was neat. Yeah. And I, I think it, uh, echoing what you said, Tim, about just the effects of the episode, like the explosion was, was great. It wasn't cheap or, you know, like a lot of that old sci-fi from the nineties could be. Uh, so yeah, that was well done. So, you know, you know that I'm going to hit you guys later with, um, what number it is now that the ship's been destroyed and what number, um, it is now that Janeway has been killed in the series. A little, okay. A little something we like to do every time, uh, there's a, an explosion with uh, Voyager. People are always <laughs> dying. <laughs> save that it's for a dangerous bit. place. Save that for a bit later. Actually, you know what? Ah, screw it. I'll just tell you guys right now. <laughs> Let's just get right to that. That's fun. Wait, can, can we? Can we at least guess? Yeah. Okay. Terry, <laughs> I like that. Okay, Terry. What number? It's this is near the end of season five. Uh, the ship mm-hmm. explodes. How many times has Voyager exploded up to this point? That's a complicated answer because uh, are you? Do you remember on uh, Next Gen where they showed Enterprise explode four times or five times within a season or within an episode? Is that five times or is that one time? If it blows up for the same reason over and over again in the same episode, is that one time or five times? Well, okay, hold, let me counter that with another question. Are you alluding to the fact that in one of these Voyager episodes that the ship may have exploded multiple times? Uh, I suspect it might have. I just don't remember fully. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna say it blew up uh, 15 times, but I'm probably late on the guess. I would say that that Enterprise episode was an anomaly. I don't I don't know many episodes where like a ship like that explodes over and over again, and they're like in this uh, this loop. But uh, okay, Jay, what's your guess on the ship exploding? Oh, uh, I. I'm gonna stay a little closer to home here. I my guess is three times. Okay, so the ship. This is the fifth time the ship has exploded. Oh, which, which I think Holy is smokes. it's still. I think it's pretty high considering this is like the main ship of your show. Like your show is revolving around this ship, right? Like how many times could it actually explode and the crew die? But yes, that's five. Now, how many? This is this is um, how many times has Janeway been killed? Including the the death that just happened in this episode. Terry, oh, I'm Terry. Yeah, Terry first. Okay, uh, half a dozen, six. Okay, Jay. One dollar. No, no. Um, <laughs> uh, ding, 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 ding. You know what? I'm, I'm, I definitely it has to, it definitely has to be more than the amount of times the ship has exploded. Janeway's always getting herself into shit. So I'm gonna say. I'm going to say 10. Well, Jay's, Jay's logic is sound, but his number is a bit high. It's eight times. It's the eighth time oh, she's, she's Oh, split the difference. Yeah. So that's always fun. We'll have, to keep, <laughs> we'll have to keep watching episodes where the ship explodes and crew members die. Well, the, ne- the next one you'll have to count, Tim, is what did you say earlier? Uh, the amount of times the words are uttered like the ship is being pulled apart. Drink every time you hear that. That's right. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, or breaches on all decks or something. Oh yeah, like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Two yeah. boxes out a lot. Or de- deck ten <laughs> decompressed or something. So seven is now on the time ship relativity. They called it, and Captain. Great Bat- name. Great name, the time ship relativity. Ooh, mm-hmm. Love it. So we have Captain Braxton and Lieutenant Duquesne. 
and they say that they brought Seven there for help. Now, someone, they don't know who, has placed a weapon on Voyager, and they need Seven because of her ocular implant. The fact that her Borg implant is still more advanced than anything 500 years in the future is amazing. Like that's that's mm-hmm. great writing. She's so advanced that they've gone back 500 years to recruit her for this mission. It's good that they they recruited her for this mission because I think it's just showing her growth as a character in the show that her importance is is paramount uh, in Voyager storytelling now. And um, it's also it, I just love seeing I always love seeing Seven grow as a character, seeing uh, going from this innocent essentially child to this person that the timeship relativity turns to to help restore the timeline. Like it's uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I agree. It does um, grow her character quite a bit, uh, and it's they've all, they're always pulling out like these new cool Borg implants that she has that they're able to do something with, right? <laughs> like in the last one we did in Timeless, she had some sort of fascinating technology that they were able to send a message back in time to her with, right? Yeah, um, yeah. it's really really neat. She's a fascinating character. Her and the Doctor are just fascinating. Um, like almost like super, well, they are superhuman, like superhuman characters. Like a Swiss army knife sometimes. Yeah. Their, their abilities are almost infinite. It's like, you've got this, this crew of humans on Voyager or humans and like uh, other species sort of like humans. But then these two are, they're just like superheroes. It's like you have like these, these characters who have way, way, way higher abilities than everybody else around them. And it's really fun mm-hmm. to watch these super characters, you know, often save the day and then interact with all the other people. So, and what's what's all to add to that, Tim? What's increasingly incredible about it is that these superhero characters, these are are all always trying to be more human. You know, they're they're <laughs> yeah. far superior. They're far superior than us in every single way, but they are all always written to be more human. As their mm-hmm. driving force, Shit, and dude, that's, that's what that's makes such it. Gr- that's such, oh, a, it, such a great point. Yeah, it makes it amazing to watch. And it worked. It worked on um, uh, next gen. Data was the same way. You know, he yeah. was the super super uh, human character, and uh, he strove the same way. And it's fascinating to see somebody that is better than us want to be like us. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, yeah. so. They've uh, they basically explained that you know they want Seven's help, and she agrees because like this is Starfleet, right? Like it, it's it's what she knows, and they're asking for her help. So she, so it's like she's down, right? It's we need your help mm-hmm. to save Voyager. So of course, they tell her the plan is that they're trying to catch the saboteur before the weapon is placed on Voyager. So they've pinpointed the placement of the weapon. Um, and the placement is two years before Seven joined Voyager. Uh, it was during a Kazon attack when Voyager's shields were down. Now, Lieutenant Duquesne and Seven, they have a good conversation about the mission, and Duquesne tells her that like uncertainty is part of the equation. So Seven was kind of questioning um, like how, how you can kind of play with time travel I liked hearing that uncertainty is actually something they factor in with time travel because it lets us know that even in a futuristic ship like this, that they don't even have everything worked out because how could you with time travel? So 
I like that they gave a bit of a nod to, you know, well, we don't actually know everything. And while we do these calculations about um, if we if we do this and affect the timeline this way, like what's the actual outcome going to be? They have to factor in uncertainty to some to some yeah. level. So, yeah, it was a good it was a good element. Seven was kind of questioning Captain Braxton a little bit to uh, to Lieutenant Duquesne. And he basically said that he he trusts Braxton's instincts the same way that Seven trusts Janeway's instincts. So we get a small nugget that um, you know they have a really strong relationship, uh, Duquesne and Braxton. Now Braxton is talking with Seven uh, just before they send her back, and Seven recommends actually utilizing Janeway because she's very resourceful. But Braxton gets quite upset at this, and he says that Janeway has actually caused three temporal incursions that he's had to clean up. Now, what he's mentioning, one of the ones he's mentioning, is Timeless that that we saw. So he had to clean up that whole incursion that Chakotay and uh, and Harry, Harry uh, got involved in. Uh, but another one is a really cool double-part episode from uh, Season 2, where the crew goes back to like the late 1980s on earth. Oh, I love that one. That's where the doctor gets his mobile emitter from. It's a really neat episode, but Braxton makes, he actually makes a, a small appearance in that. And then what they're telling us in this, um, <laughs> in this episode is that he got trapped there for something like 20 years. He had to live in 19, the 1980s for 20 years. And he said, because of that, he had to go through extensive rehab <laughs> So he had like, he had like PTSD from, um, you know, not just from being in the 1980s, but being stuck out of his timeline for so long. Uh, like he had mm-hmm. to be like, um, they, they, there was a word for it. What, what did they call it? Some temporal psychosis or, uh, yes, or... I think that's it. Yeah. I think that's exactly it. Temporal psychosis. Yeah. Something like that. I think I have it in my notes it here took, somewhere. It took, uh, it took, uh, the the 29th century technology um, uh, years to wash the 1990s off of him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So this is where they do, they use some sort of like uh, technology to hide Seven's Borg implant so that they can send her back. And uh, she goes back to that time during the Kazon attack. And again, she's in her Starfleet uniform. I think she, look, she looks great in her Starfleet uniform. I almost wish that she was always wearing that outfit. It's very classy. But uh, Harry picks up a chroniton flux of 0.003. So it seems like anytime somebody beams aboard Voyager from another timeline, this chroniton flux of 0.003 happens. So they're starting to pick up on, on, you know, this is something. And of course, Janeway, very interested hearing that. And uh, Seven goes to check for this weapon, but the weapon is actually not there. Janeway, remembering that reading of 003, erects a level 10 force field around it to try to contain it. And Seven, she's kind of cut off from Braxton and from the other ship, and she can't uh, signal that she needs to get pulled out of there. And Janeway ends up capturing her in some force fields and remembers meeting her at Utopia Planitia um, from the, the very first scene, remembers you know seeing her. Now, Janeway is obviously upset and interrogating her and Tuvok scans her and like notices that she's Borg. So obviously Janeway is like <laughs> on the aggressive here, right? Some sort of yeah. Borg spies on her ship or something like that. 
And like seven's refusing to answer any of the questions because of the temporal prime directive. But seven on her tricorder picks up that the saboteur had just boarded the ship and going actively going to plant the weapon. So she's pleading with Janeway to like let her go so she can, you know, ultimately save them. But Janeway's just not buying it, right? Obviously. So um, Seven starts to explain what's really going on, and Braxton's all fucking pissed off because now he's got <laughs> another another mess he's gonna have to clean up, right? Yeah, he's like, get her out of there. Yeah. <laughs> he's gonna be back in the 1990s. Yeah, because when she was talking at first, she was doing a good job of not giving up any information, and then flash back to him, and he'd be like, good, good, good job, and then yeah. then she starts giving it away, and he's like, no, 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 don't do it, no, get her out of there. <laughs> He just had flashbacks of the '90s coming, yeah, coming exactly. at him. Exactly. He's like, I can't, I can't go back to the '80s anymore, <laughs> or '80s or '90s. What was it? I think it was. Was it '90s? I think it was '90s. I think it was '90s. Yeah, yeah you're it right. Was <laughs> back to the 90210 days. Yeah, right. Seven ultimately does talk Janeway into letting her go. Uh, it was a nice moment how she did that, but she basically gets free and tells Braxton that with Janeway's assistance, she's pursuing the saboteur. So they go into the Jeffrey's tube and they find the saboteur and it's none other than Captain Braxton himself. <gasps> that fuck. <laughs> that, what a prick. That dirty <laughs> prick. <laughs> and he definitely he... had a prick looking face on him when he got caught too. <laughs> oh, totally. sneer on his face. <laughs> totally. He did. Like you said, Tim, another layer to this episode you know they're giving us all these different layers and now here's another one so totally i don't remember i don't remember the first time i ever saw this episode and how shocked i was when i saw his face uh after re-watching it you remember that that's the case yeah but i cannot remember how shocked i was that first time i watched it it was definitely one of the last faces i ever would have expected to see just for how they set it up yeah, mm-hmm. you, you would expect some weird alien or some species you've never seen before, and then you'd probably get a whole backstory into who they are. But the fact that they completely took it full circle and linked it back to a character we already know is just perfect. Yep. It does make sense why he did it, which is also really excellent for the story. Back on the ship relativity, Braxton radios down to Seven and says, like, what's going on there? Give me an update. And Seven says, we found the saboteur, (laughs) and it's you. (laughs) (laughs) Or he says, or a future version of you, at least. Like, Braxton's obviously like, what? I didn't didn't do that. There's no way I did. Like, he's chasing chasing himself through through time, you know, trying to capture. He's trying to capture himself who did this whole, you know, crime. It's, it's, It's really neat. The saboteur, Braxton, is is appealing to the actual Captain Braxton to let him complete the mission for both of their sakes. And Seven scans the saboteur Braxton and finds out that he is indeed suffering from what Jay mentioned, uh, temporal psychosis. Now, he already knows that he has it, right? Like He's like, yeah, of course I have it. Like, I, this is what I had to go through. You know, and he mentioned his whole, all these different, every time he had to fix something that Voyager did, it was a very, very costly thing for his body and and they're kind of ruining his life right so he's he's very upset at all these things that have happened and he's trying to change all this by destroying voyager 
so that they're wiped out of the timeline and he never has to deal with them. So I get it. Like I get why he's doing it, right? Mm-hmm. On paper, it makes sense. That's right. He's just killing people to do it. So, I mean, interesting. Interestingly, let's let's talk about this for for a minute. How is this any different than what Chakotay and Kim did in Timeless, where they're trying to rewrite the plan and lots of people end up dying? Like, how is it so righteous for them to do it, but for for Captain Braxton, it's like, no, we we, we he's the bad guy. You know, I think I know the answer to that. Not that it's definitive and not arguable, but there was to save people. His was to kill people. And uh, even though they had similar outcomes, they wanted to change the future to way uh, that they wanted. Um, Harry, Harry and Chakotay never did what they did to kill people. They only did it to uh, save Voyager and the crew. Whereas he, he's trying to destroy Voyager and the crew for his own end. So I think that would be the core reason, I think, is the difference. Yeah, I, I would agree, Terry. I, I think that he, you could probably, he's probably trying to disguise it a little bit, like this is what's best for the universe. But I think his motivation is he he's doing it for himself. Yeah, but he's trying to save his life, right? Yeah. So he's, he's still trying to save a life. So I guess you, you could get into like the philosophical debate of, you know, what's greater, one life or many lives, you know, like, um, sure, Chakotay and Kim were trying to save all the lives of their ship, but how many other lives did they affect in the process? Whereas with Braxton, yes, he, he is only trying to save his life. And I guess, you know, the, the lives that are immediately going to be affected are the Voyager lives, but, you know, that's uh, maybe 130 or something like that. Anyways, you know, I just thought that's I thought that's an interesting dynamic that we have here. You know, there, sure. obviously there's no right answer, right? It's just a yeah, um, interesting thing to talk about. That could have been a what if. Mm. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> you was, have the ability to edit it, edit it that way. That's stupid. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna flash forward to the future where I edit that part out. <laughs> uh, anyways, we're back on the we're on the the ship relativity. And Lieutenant Duquesne has seen enough. He takes command of the vessel and places Captain Braxton under arrest for crimes he's going to commit. Mm-hmm. That's neat. That's that's that, that was... is cool world building for a t- uh, yeah. a time ship, right? Oh yeah. In my opinion, that was the integral moment in the show. Outside of learning Braxton was the saboteur, because if Duquesne hadn't done that. Braxton takes control still. Uh, the the current uh, the the non saboteur Braxton takes control, and where does the episode go from there? You know, mm-hmm, totally, it doesn't go well. Mm-hmm. It's cool. Now back on Voyager, though, Braxton uses a temporal transporter to beam two years into the past, and Seven asks Duquesne to transport her there as well. Now Duquesne is hesitant because that would be Seven's fourth jump. And that's where things start to go real bad for a person. Seven doesn't care. She doesn't give a shit. I like it. <laughs> she, she, <laughs> she follows him. Now, Braxton walks in on the ping pong game. <laughs> it's funny. It's another <laughs> another weird pause to the ping pong tournament. Where this, yeah. ra- this random dude that nobody's seen before stumbles into the ping pong game. And then another seven comes in. So now there's two sevens at the ping pong game. And uh, the Seven, uh, who is following Braxton, stuns him with a phaser and shoots his temporal 
uh, transporter out of his hand. So he, he doesn't have that anymore. Now he's stuck. He's stuck on that in that timeline. Now we get this um, interesting part where Braxton runs off out of the room and seven, the one who's following him kind of falls back and can't really continue because of this, like um, she wasn't supposed to take this fourth jump and she did. And now she like can't even get up. She's like incapacitated and the other seven comes over and they get the two sevens looking at each other. It's pretty neat. So they need to pull that one seven out, but that seven tells the other one that she needs to complete this mission and that like their lives depend on it. So now we have this other seven taking over to try to chase down Braxton, which is interesting. It, it was really interesting just to add, because at the beginning of the episode, we saw the toll that this jumping took on the first seven and then she died and then this whole episode we we have been growing and and going on this adventure with with this seven and then nearing the end here from what they're showing us she's on death's door too you know and and now another layer like we now we have another seven who has to kind of continue the mission and it is kind of kind of uh heartwarming to to see that and it's uh, again talking about layers a whole other layer Mm-hmm. Since, since you bring that up, it, it is interesting how many times I, I think that they've attempted to, to stop Braxton, but they haven't like explicitly told us how many times that is. But what we know is that Seven was recruited three times and that after four jumps, you can get temporal psychosis. Is it temporal psychosis? Is that what you... Uh, yeah, I, I think that's what it is. S- sensory aphasia is what uh. it's called when you do too many jumps. Um, so they've, they've pulled her three times, which means the first two times she died, which means during those two times, she jumped probably at least four times in each of those versions of her that died. So they've potentially tried this, this same thing, maybe, you know, 10 or 10, 12 times, I guess. Yeah. I never thought of that. Good point. They don't talk about it very much. They only kind of slightly nod to it, you know? Yeah, they tell us, like, the numbers, but they they, they, they give us the equation, and then we're left to do the math. Janeway actually tracks down Braxton, and they apprehend him. And Seven transports Braxton back to the timeship relativity. And then Janeway randomly gets beamed there herself, where Lieutenant Duquesne and the other time-traveling Seven uh, are there. They basically lay out the story for her, like this is what was going on, this is what we had to do, and uh, they they say all <laughs> Duquesne goes through all the different temporal incursions that they have created just in the process mm-hmm. of trying to apprehend him, and it's this, this big mess, right? Like they have to go back and do all sorts of different things. They have to drop all sorts of people back into their own timeline uh, at a certain point, just to kind of like make everything you know normal again. Basically, since Seven is unable to jump anymore, they need Janeway to be like the one to do the last bit of help. And Braxton basically agreed to tell to tell them like the exact time and no, I guess the, the exact time and place that they could capture him. So it was when he got on the ship to place the bomb. There's a moment where he land, he gets on the ship and he trips over um, a crew a crew member, and he's kind of like incapacitated for a second and Janeway could catch him uh, with this knowledge. So uh, Janeway goes back to that time. He trips over the the crew member and Janeway captures him. And then 
they go back and Duquesne, he's kind of, everything's been finished. They've put everybody back in the, in the right timeline. And he says that the incursion factor was only 0.0036, which is better than they expected. Now, incursion factor is a term that you hear a lot in that year of hell two-parter that we mentioned. The, um, the guy in that, he's, he's continuing to change things in different timelines to get his timeline back to the perfect time. And he's always talking about the incursion factor. So the incursion factor is like, this is how much of a percent you've changed. So if the incursion factor was like zero, then everything is back to normal. And the things that you have done have affected nothing. So an incursion factor of like 50, I guess it's out of 100 probably, but an incursion factor of 50 would probably be really bad. And this one was 0 0.0036. So it sounded like they barely did any damage at all. So still some, but uh, Duquesne kind of ends ends up saying like, Janeway, look, Voyager's been showing up way too often on our sensors and uh, she just needs to like tighten it up a bit. You know, they're, they're tired. <laughs> they're tired of, you know, they're tired of, they're tired of, of uh, Janeway and Voyager. But I get this really, really neat kind of Captain Kirk vibe here where I really feel like because of that comment, I feel like, yeah, yeah. Like Janeway and Voyager, they are kind of like these gunslingers, right? Who are just, they're, they're doing whatever they can, you know, to some extent to just to survive and to get where they need to get. And it does parallel you know, Kirk and his time on Enterprise, where they're one of the first, um, you know, warp capable ships. So they're kind of going out alone and they don't have a lot of support. So they also kind of need to do whatever they can to survive. And sometimes their tactics are a little bit, you know, un Starfleet, right? But they have to do mm -hmm. them and they, they, they do them. Same with, same with Janeway and Voyager. Like they're stuck in the Delta Quadrant. They don't have a lot of support. And they're doing these questionable things to survive. So I actually really enjoyed that parallel between the two of them there. It's interesting. And there, there was like another episode where Janeway mentioned how how much she um, like appreciated and looked up to Kirk and what what that crew did in that in a such a different time. And she kind of always admired him. So uh, it's neat that they that what's well, neat that I got that vibe out of this episode without them really saying anything about it. Yeah. Yeah, and I and I really like uh, that when at the end of the episode, where they have to recruit Janeway to fix the timeline, you know, again, uh, throwing another, uh, um, you know, going along with Janeway and her adventure now. But the way they recruited her was perfect because her reactions, her her dialogue were very much that of the audience. You know, it was someone trying to explain the effects of time travel, and she's acting the way any of us would by just saying, okay, that's enough, like, before my head explodes, like, let's just get this over with. <laughs> and it was just, it was very, uh, it was good. It was a good way to end, end that episode. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. So anything else you guys wanted to say about that one? About the, gen the, the just, episode in general, you yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. Anything that you may have wanted to say <laughs> that didn't get a chance to? Yeah, yeah. So when uh, the first incursion that uh, Seven of Nine and comes into Voyager at the very beginning of the episode, she leaves that 0 0.003 chronoton flux, right? And Janeway's and the, the Admiral say, well, I don't know what that is either. Okay. Five years later, it comes up again in a second or two after that. Janeway's like, I know that number. I know that number. 
And then she's like, five years ago, this happened. I'm thinking to myself, I can't even remember what I had for dinner two day, two nights ago. And she remembers a Croton Flex from five years ago. So, yeah. Uh, that's, why, that's why that's why she's that, a captain she's, of a Starfleet. I don't know if this, this might go into another part of this, uh, this podcast here, but let's do it. Uh, why Voyager? Like this, like, why does this, I'm, I'm just really curious how relativity picks and chooses certain timelines to fix. Um, because the whole motivation behind this episode was that there is a saboteur planting a bomb to erase Voyager from the timeline. So is this a potential what if? What if they just left Voyager alone? Well, this is because Braxton had a, a hard-on for Voyager. The future of Braxton had a hard-on for Voyager because Voyager caused him so much trouble. So he chose Voyager to um, to even the score with. Therefore, Relativity had to go and try to stop whoever the saboteur was, which happens to be Braxton in the future. So this wasn't, I don't think this was a luck thing. This was just Braxton evening the odds. Uh, whether or not the other case is a different story, uh, probably. Yeah. And was is relativity a feder like is it a federation ship? Did they ever announce it is, itself? Yeah. It is a federation ship. Yeah, it okay. is. And Jay, I to to um to jump onto Terry's point, I always got the feeling. Now they never say it, but I always got the feeling that there is like a fleet of these time ships out there that are going around and fixing incursions that are happening all over the place. Um, it's it's not just Voyager who's needing like repair of the timeline i imagine there's all sorts of other species that are, are doing similar things that the, this this branch of starfleet is trying to fix i i feel like braxton was probably um like attached to voyager and he was uh, he probably had several different let's call voyager a client he probably had several clients in his portfolio voyager was one of them and one of them that probably caused him more issues than he was ever wanted to have right okay yeah, yeah no that that i i that makes a lot more sense so it's not it's relativity isn't about picking and choosing certain events to manipulate they're just about fixing these temporal yeah. incursions and this is just an episode of braxton going rogue on one of his clients that's my that's my yeah. take on it because yeah, we've seen okay. we've seen braxton you know this is i think this is the third time in the series that we see him uh Albeit the other times are very brief. This is a whole episode based on him, but that's just that's just I guess that's what I create in my mind for all this to make sense. Uh, it just it it feels I like agree. that it feels like that's the actual situation. So uh, yeah. Terry, when you say that you think you know a show about this star this starship relativity, like um, if you expand that to the you know whatever this um, time ship um, squadron is, maybe there's a whole bunch of ships. I think mm -hmm. there's so much opportunity for for a show. Yeah, you know, in that vein, that um, yeah, that oh, yeah. shouldn't be passed up on. Somebody should do that. Who's listening? How many producers out there are listening? <laughs> I uh, I like to believe. Well, I like to think of it as um, a show on relativity or a ship like relativity would be kind of like the the time cop meets Star Trek. You know, you got both elements of it, and um, I agree with you fully. I think that there's a squadron of them, just like police, uh, and that's what they're doing: policing the the time timelines uh, and we just happen to see Braxton more than anybody else right right okay cool awesome then there's one thing left to do
if. All right, guys. You know what what if is. It's the, the, safe, sure do. Mm-hmm. the safe point in our program to share our thoughts. Nobody's going to get, um, you know, chewed out for any opinion or anything like that. But we just want to create a bit of a, a conversation around something, you know, something. What if, what if something else happened? Now, these are always really tough for me to come up with when, <laughs> when the subject matter is always <laughs> so bizarre already, like a time travel episode where there's so many things going on. And if I throw in a what if to like, what if this happened or what if, well, the whole episode is a what if. So I always struggle with, mm-hmm. with these weird episodes, but what if you took the time travel elements out of this episode? Could you still have a successful episode or is the time travel aspect of this episode what's really working for this episode? So could there still be a weapon placed on Voyager and they are, they're trying to track down the saboteur and you know maybe how he got it there? What if you take time travel out? To, who wants to go first? Terry, do you want to, do you have something? Time travel in this episode is not only the core of the episode, uh, it's the multi-layeredness of the episode. So if you take time travel out, you can still do the episode with Braxton wanting to sabotage Voyager because they screwed him over in some way. Maybe not time-wise, but they screwed him over in some way. And they have to uh, keep jumping from um, place to place to do so. Or there is a little bit of time variation, but it's not time travel. It's just waiting for the next opportunity that he comes to do it. So it could still be a good episode, but it would not be as layered and uh, intricate and um, interesting as this episode. Also, the fact that it's the center uh, uh, focal point on this episode uh, makes it harder to make a good episode without it. But it could be done, I think. I just am glad they did it this way. Yeah. 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 I'm going to I'm going to agree with you, Terry. Like, I. I don't think without the time travel, there'd be none of the layers we talked about. There'd be no, I wouldn't be as hooked in the first few minutes as, as I was uh, with it. Um, if the time travel was removed, I think it would become a, uh, like a version of the movie clue, you know, instead of without the murder, it's just, you know, there's this bomb planted and there's, it's more of an investigation on who, who internally, which one of the crew uh, is plotting against us, you know, who's, uh, and I guess it could be it could be okay, but I would view it probably as a filler episode. I, I definitely I don't think it would make it into a podcast. Yeah, I think you guys nailed it. I, I I definitely think it could be done well and would be exciting. I think it would have to be from like the uh, detective um, aspect of it. Like they they'd need to be heavily invested in in trying to find clues and solve like the mystery of how how this got planted, but. I, yeah, I'd be interested to see it done a different way, though, just to see what they came up with. But uh, I don't see anything beating the way they did this one. So It's difficult to write um, uh, a layered episode like this with time travel because you got to think of all the different complications they create for each other. And to do it well like this shows uh, great skill. And uh, uh, like Jay said, it gets on a podcast versus not really thought of again, you know, so... They did a great job with it. Agreed. Okay, guys. Well, listen, thank you so much for joining again this week. Uh, I love love this episode. Um, had a lot of fun chatting with you guys about it. And we'll uh, we'll go check our schedules and our um, 
our Star Trek journals and see what we want to talk about next. <laughs> and then, then we'll do it. We'll do it. Well, thanks everybody for listening and we'll catch you next time. There's a voice that keeps on calling me Down the road, that's where I'll always be Every stop I make, I make a new friend Can't stay for long, just turn around and I'm gone again Maybe tomorrow I'll want to settle down Until tomorrow I'll just keep moving on Until tomorrow the whole world is my home Hello everybody, I'm Adam. I'm John. And every week we are giving you a blast from our past. We are the podcast that brings you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, album reviews, top tens, and more, all from the things of our nostalgic past. So please join us every single week on the Blast From Our Past podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, however you listen to podcasts, you can find us, and we would love to have you take a trip with us to the land of nostalgia. That's it for another episode. Thanks to everyone for listening. If you'd like to drop us a line, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter as TalkBackPod, or by email at TalkBackPod at gmail.com. Also, please leave us a review on iTunes. Those reviews will help more people find Talking Back. All right, that's it. We're done.